Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast. Today's guest is Coach Ian Vaughn. Ian, how you doing today, brother? Doing great. Glad awesome. If you want to go ahead and give the listeners a little background on yourself, please. I've been coaching for about like well over 10 years. My original plan was to be a firefighter back in college. Didn't really work out, you know, trying to get hired out here in Southern California. So, but so plan B, I was always working as a personal trainer during my training and it kind of turned into my plan A over time. And then I got my own place, mainly training people one-on-one at Viking Wallet Training Center. And I take a lot of courses. I love learning new things. And it's how, why we met. I love just learning new things. I don't ever consider myself a master of anything. It was like being a student of everything, doing it from a fresh background. So whenever I teach someone, I always think, how did I feel when first learning this? And that's what I feel like makes me very successful with coaching from learning it from that point of view. But yeah, other than that, I love doing kettlebells, steel maces, clubs, both Indian and steel. And I recently just published in the last year, two paperback books on steel mace training and kettlebell training as well. Fantastic. With a bunch of other eBooks on my website as well. Awesome. When you were doing your firefighting, what was that training like? You know, it taught me a lot about how tactical athletes work. It's not just your basic linear type training. You're Mm -hmm. fighting a lot of anti-rotation with hose lines and breathing properly because you freak out in that mask. You're going to be pretty compromised. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, when we had to do firefighting in the Navy, the putting that mask on and it's, it's, it's weird. Especially yep. if you're not used to it, it kind of freaks you out in that first little bit. But you were talking about linear training where you were, was that still being done a lot for a lot of the uh, people that you were training with? Were they still doing that? Yes. I mean, I mean, when you, I was first training at like a 24 hour fitness, you know, it, like they mm-hmm. wanted you to be on, no, you got to strong the strength machines, the strength machines, I tried to say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone always had knee issues, hip issues, and it was like they couldn't even step laterally or something. And that's what the majority of people just want to get back on a soccer field or football field or just play with their kids at a park, you know, and they couldn't do that being in that much pain. And I realized, you know, sticking them on a machine that makes them sit isn't really strength training. So Mm -hmm. that's where I really got more into, you know, learning more things, training 3d, you know, rotationally moving side to side, pivoting with your feet, you know, actually flexing at your toes and, you know, even, Getting people out of their shoes is a whole another ordeal uh, nowadays. When did you, you know, when did you stumble upon kettlebells? It was around 2014. <laughs> I wasn't doing them that great, and I kind of felt like I needed more education. I kept asking around different forums. I was in with some friends, and they said, "Yeah, go to a Strong First cert- certification." And I saved up a good amount of money for that, and I was like, "Man, is it gonna be worth it?" And it was. I mean, three days. Very tough, uh, you know, to go through those testing standards. But what I what I liked what they do is they say you can retest, you can send all your, you know, technique and snatch test, you know, stuff in three months from then. Then you can get certified. So it wasn't like a do or die thing most people were doing. But yeah, I mean, just learning simple swing, clean snatch, get up, and knowing how to coach it that was the biggest game changer for me. And that's why I got really addicted to doing more courses along with that. Yeah, that's a that's a brutal three days, man. I mean, you're doing. I remember that you're doing like at least two or 3000 swings in a weekend. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're doing all your, just, they just barely go into the swing and clean in the first Friday. 
done assisted now like six or seven times first okay. on first certification. We actually have to, as assistants, actually have to show up on a Thursday to retest. Oh, oh shit. Wow. Yeah. So they want you to know your stuff because, you know, if a master instructor calls you out, yeah, you better know your stuff. They want to look embarrassed. So learning different movement patterns, how do you actually use your body is what makes me strong. You know, people are always, always asking me like, oh, how do you lift all these giant kettlebells? I'm like, well, I learned the technique first and then I've been doing it for years, you know, and that's, that's kind of the thing people don't see with social media, for example, you know, they don't see all the hard work put in that someone has experience with, but yeah. Yeah. And then you're understanding how to leverage your body in the right position and, you know, to create that power and torque. Yeah. That's why I love steel maces for, you know, and prepping them with stick mobility has been a, like a great thing. I've had a couple of tactical athletes from like police EMTs and other guys is knowing even when I had to lift up a gurney, you know, oh, yeah. you know, something as simple as that. That a lot of people like, cause that's mainly what firefighters do as well. They do more medical calls than anything. And I know people that just had back issues just from lifting up a simple gurney and just teaching, Oh, here's a hip hinge. And I'll just even show them on, put the stick behind their back. Okay. Keep your head, you know, mid back and low back connected to the stick and then push your hips back. And then they're like, oh, that makes sense. That so then you can, they can see if you're, their head's tilting or their rib flaring or they're flexing at their low back too much. Little things like that, those aha moments. Well, because there's such a massive difference between if you're an EMT and you got to pick up a gurney with somebody on it, that's a totally different movement as opposed to doing a deadlift with a barbell. Yeah. That's the great thing about kettlebell training is we call it a fast deadlift. Mm -hmm. That's what the kettlebell swing is. It's just a fast deadlift. But we do like anyone that learns it, they just can't do continuous reps. They got to do it one at a time. I just time to do a dead stop. So hike it, swing it, bring it back down to the ground. Because most people, when they build up that speed, yeah. it's just gonna, all that torsion is going to go to their low back at some point. They don't know how to turn on the right muscles at the right time. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, because that offset load is something that a lot of people just aren't familiar with. And what's interesting, so if, if I was an aesthetics-based person, like I was just more concerned about how I looked, well, if you were trying to tell me the benefits of understanding how to move with load, what, what would you say to me to try to get me to change my thought process there? Well, like as we were talking about with whole, the whole linear training, you know, they're very isolated in training. People always think, you know, a bicep curl is just all biceps. You know, even in Pavel's book, uh, Power of the People, he does teach a bicep curl, but he teaches you how to do it with your lats, serratus muscles, and keeping your glutes tight with this nice tall spine and then curling up the weight. And you can get even more load up than you thought, you know, simple irradiation techniques, you know, but yeah, because uh, with aesthetics, they're very on the reps. They want to think more volume, more this, more that. And it's, uh, I, I think they could use just a little bit more uh, mobility in the right places. Cause I know guys with great abs and then they have the worst low back pain in the world, even hernias, you know, they, uh, you know, because they're, they're, they're doing too much. They don't know how to step down because everyone has that certain peak in training, but no one, but everyone falls off the cliff and they get injured versus, okay, I'm just going to step down. That's what I do with my training. You know, I'm feeling something is off, but that's what that, that's that the aesthetic thing now is, you know, no pain, no gain type thing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's very, it only works for so many. I mean, if you're in the military, yeah, I get it. You're going to be in that that mindset, but that that's only for like a couple months, though. But if we're talking lifetime here. Aesthetically, it's not going to work. Look at guys like Ronnie Coleman. Mm. Oh I yeah, 
Oh, you he's, saw that documentary? That yeah, guy? he's yeah. broken. He's broken yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was just, he just did so many repetitions and so much load. He looks like uh, a grandpa versus just like, because when I saw him with his kids, I thought those were his grandkids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, those are his kids. I was like, wow. So it's like, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it when I talk to someone more so that is going more with aesthetics, you know? Uh, and it's and not only that, it's just, I always tell them, it comes down to nutrition as well. Yeah. I won't tell you that. That's a whole other topic, but yeah. Well, I think when we see, People move. We look at it as: Are they athletic when they do? They look athletic when they move, yeah. and that's something that really differentiates a lot of people. You know, especially the aesthetics-driven uh, trainer, so to yeah. speak, is yeah. that they really, when they move, they don't look athletic. They, it looks like it's a lot of work. Yeah, I deal with that all the time because uh, I, I've had, unfortunately, a lot of trainers who don't like me because I like, hey, you're not doing that right. You should try it this way. Mm-hmm. And then they view me as stuck up for a bit time that way. And then the next day, their client is complaining, Hey, my back hurts from doing mm-hmm. that kettlebell swing by pulling it with my arms more so. Mm-hmm. You know, if people see a kettlebell swing, they, they don't see a swing, they see a pull. Yes. With their upper body, for example, they don't mm-hmm. see the swing and they don't see how it's more of a hip dominant movement. And your arms really aren't doing, they're just, they're just hooked onto the bell. Uh, but yeah, like that's where, because that's a great athlete builders that kettlebell swing because you're learning to tense and relax. And that's where yep. a lot of athletic come from. Can, mm-hmm. What can you tense and how fast can you relax that yin and yang type mindset? But yeah, people just think, okay, as many reps as possible, as hard as possible, and as heavy as possible. But then they act surprised when they get injured. Well, I think too, what happens is you get guys that are fairly strong, right? So they pick up a 24 kilo kettlebell and they're like, well, I can shoulder raise these things, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? So they're not, they're not focused on, Hey, if I get more hip drive, it's going to be more efficient. It's going to improve my athleticism. It's, oh, this is a great shoulder raise. You get my front delts, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the right, it's what I, you know, everyone knows that you use a hammer with nails mm-hmm. you use a screwdriver with screws and mm-hmm. what i'm seeing on social media now more than ever everyone's banging in hammer with the screw mm-hmm. everyone knows the screwdriver is much better you know so people they got to instead of treating everything like you know hammer and nail you know you got to know what's the right tool like i, I see people do they're treating kettlebells like dumbbells just use a dumbbell mm-hmm. reinventing the wheel you know you know, it's like when people say like, what's the difference? Why, why should I get a stick, stick mobility? You know? And I'm like, well, it's been great for me because I get the right size. You know, I can pick the right feet for the right height for the right person. And then the right bend to build. I love the six bend, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, people will tell you like, oh, I get it. I use regular doubt. Well, it's going to break and warp over time. And then you don't know the height of anything. So it's like, we have a system in place with everything. It just works better, you know? And my dad, even my dad's a handyman. If you see my gym, my dad helped me build most of that, but he actually told me, he's like, yeah, I actually use screwdrivers the most because it keeps my neighbors happy. Yeah. 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 Do the same thing. Like, like, like that, you know, you don't want, I, I don't like swinging a kettle, but I swing a dumbbell, like mm-hmm. a kettlebell. It's not distally the same with the, it's offset load, you know? Well, I think what's interesting, I always find sometimes, well, I should not say I always find, but I find that when you're teaching somebody the kettlebell swing and they see you do it, they, they're looking at where, how high the kettlebell goes. And so they automatically think, 
it's about how high I get the kettlebell to go. So of course yeah. they then they pull with that upper body, and yeah. you're, and so it's trying to explain to them no, the height is the result of the power the power that I'm generating from the hips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we always say like you know when you do a one arm swing, as soon as your hips extend, your elbow releases. Mm -hmm. Same thing happens when you go into a clean. We just say a, cl a clean is a swing that ends in a front rack position. Mm -hmm. A snatch is a swing that ends up overhead. And that's what people do. You'll see if, if, if the person did all three, they'll have a powerful swing and then they'll be timid with the clean and then even pull it harder with the snatch versus having the same hip power for all three. And that's what makes you better at kettlebell training is the more you treat your hips the exact... The, the, like. My instructors always say, if I took a picture of your backswing, I shouldn't be able to tell if you're doing a swing, clean, or snatch. As you say, the only thing that changes is the arc, basically. Exactly. Taming the arc. What Pavel's saying in Enter the Kettlebell, I read that. And that really stuck home with me is keeping that arc nice and tight. It's like you're going to... I actually do that sometimes with people with cleans and snatches. I put a stick out in front of them and tell them to tame the arc to keep it nice and tight because it's not it's not a long game as you would do with a two-handed or one-handed kettlebell swing oh that's good feedback too and it yeah. saves your saves your face too <laughs> yeah i put all these type of drills in my new books now too lately uh, to help give people that understanding with that i even included stick mobility in the kettlebell book for a whole chapter just to help people understand you know hinge squat a mm. little bit better between those differences yeah, because a lot of people don't, they think they're doing one thing and they'll tell you, like, you'll say, hey, give me a hinge and they they start squatting. But when you ask them, you're like, is that a hinge? And they're like, yeah, I'm hinging. It, yeah. it is kind of interesting to see how little body awareness they actually have of what's going on. Yeah. I mean, like, we you don't have to get like super technical. I try mm -hmm. to tell people in their most basic terms that's relatable i think one, one of the best ways i heard like coaching is saying a thousand different things that mean one thing mm -hmm. so i had a one client uh she loves the cue like like you have two grocery bags pretend like you want to close your car door with your butt so you have to push your hips back she mm -hmm. loves that another client he didn't understand the hinge and then one day it clicked when i said okay pretend like your pants are on the floor and then now pick them up take my feet out of them now <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah and they pick up your pants i mean it, it's it's that simple so people get that hinge down but yeah people squat like that's what you see with kettlebells two people squat with and that's how they pull the kettlebell too so yeah when i teach people the difference between squat and hinge that also makes a big difference maximal flexion with the hips both but the minimal knee flexion from the hinge just pushing back the direction of the hips versus the squat going down yeah so is your book, is it aimed to, uh, for beginners or is it like a, what level is it aimed at there? Mainly beginners. I try to view it from that general population. I know I can't like cater to everyone, but like, I try to think, okay, if I was going to build someone up to like an advanced level, I try to go there. Yeah. With Enter the Steel Mace, the Mace book it came out with, that is very just on the beginner side, learning how to do, you know, just beyond 360s. People kind of romanticize the 360 where you mm -hmm. just push it around your shoulders and then pull it around kind of like a kettlebell halo, but it's much more elongated from the distal load and people go too far with it and they get shoulder pain from it. And then that's why I teach people, Hey, do an offset press instead. So it's like a barbell military press, but the loads right here. What I love about that is like your obliques on this side is firing, but there's no load on that. You're resisting that tilt. And that's what help, helps build. They learn how to use their lats, their obliques. 
so they can do movements like 360s, for example. Because a lot of people get so confused, like, why can't I do it? So I break it down to those extreme levels. It was a lot of pictures to go through. <laughs> but yeah, and then we have the kettlebell book. I try to go more advanced with singles and advancing into doubles. Nice. How long, how long did it take to, to write your book? And I was inspired. I, my plan in 2020, as everyone's plan, well, didn't go to plan. You know, everything was kind of shut down. So I had all this time and it took me less than three to four months, like three months to write it. And then it was like another month of just making sure everything was written correctly. And then I tested it out with other people reading it. Luckily, my dad is an English teacher. And oh, so, oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually owe it to him that I can write books because I always tell this story. Instead of my dad punishing me, just sending my room, he would tell me, I want you to write an essay about your view window, two pages. And the most hard one, he said, write an essay about your thumb. So <laughs> I had to get really technical. And he said, yeah, I want like two pages on this. Wow. Not only would I be in trouble, he would also get on my grammar too. So <laughs> now I'd be writing. So, but, but yeah, it, it pays off now to write a book and that all comes in handy. And then, but yeah, he, he was really impressed when I, I showed him the book and, you know, we fixed everything and then it took like a solid four months for each book, you know, cause after clients, cause I was trained probably like nine or 10 people a day before 20, before March of last year. And then it went from really training two or three people a day. And now it's picked back up, train people mm-hmm. other in their garage. I've been training some people in their garages cause they don't want to go to the gym. Uh, yeah, but um, I made a lot of opportunity with the time I had, and it was a good learning experience. It was actually it's actually harder to write. You'd think it'd be harder to make an ebook because with the ebooks I make a lot of videos. Everything's hyperlinked. Like every exercise you see, I I demonstrate each one. I put like all these tutorials in it. But like when you have to change something in a book, you got to re- redo the whole thing. You actually get get more pictures. I was lucky. My photographer Annabelle was helped me with this book getting some great shots. Cause I had a lot of photographers <laughs> that didn't want to get close to me when I was swinging maces and clubs. And Oh, really? And, yeah. Oh. They're they pretty intimidated. Yeah. Like my front cover of my book and of Anna the steel mace. I loved her because she got like right up in there. Cause I'm swinging a 35 pound mace with one hand in that cover photo. And uh-huh. every photographer was just like, I'm going to stand back here. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, no, I need the action. I need you to get up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, interesting. Uh, so you said you uh, you cut down on the amount of people you were training. Do we, were you doing them virtually or still in person? Yeah. I mean, I've always done some virtual training, but I haven't really done too much of the Zoom training because that's why I was like, because I'm just not into just being in front of a laptop all day and showing people. I, I've, I've shown a couple of people, but like I got some clients in the United Kingdom, some in Germany, some in other different states, but it's not like you know, I'm talking with it. Like, it's more like once a week, I'm checking up on their training to help them out with like any type of tool they like. Yeah. I've had some clients, they don't, they don't mind coming to my gym, you know, yeah. with all the everything going on. And then others, they, they, they feel, cause some are elderly. I, I work with a lot of people with uh, neurological disorders, such as Parkinson's and post-stroke recovery. Mm-hmm. And they feel they're a little bit more susceptible what's to what's going on. And I train them at their house. No problem. One, one of my clients, she actually, turned her whole garage into a, into a whole gym. And the majority of what we do is kettlebells and stick mobility. And Very nice. Yeah. What's your, what's your biggest focus, uh, you know, with someone with Parkinson's like in, as far as uh type of training, like what are your biggest? I mean, everyone's going to say the balance 
obviously, because they're, they're, they're constantly shaking. I, for me, it's the grip strength, learning how to get torque and use their lats. And my client, Mary, she's 74 and she's been dealing with, you know, the ups and downs of having Parkinson's the last year adapting to it. So I can't like just have a program set up all for her. I got to change those uh, certain days where she's really feeling her nervous system is just not up to par those days. Uh, but she can carry 40 pound kettlebells, no problem. 15 yards up, 15 yards down. I just have her pick them up, keep that torque. And if I ever see like her grip, you know, going Listening, yep. too far, that's when I know, okay, that's too heavy. Uh-huh. But yeah, we've stayed at that perfect mode. And then the, she's like, I don't feel great with 40s. Okay, 30s. And those are even easier for her, you know? And then her just doing, you know, a lot of kayaking with the stick has been great mm-hmm. for her to get her thoracic spine opened up. She has way more proprioceptive ability of knowing where her limbs are going like that. And just doing simple things like with the wrist complex you guys teach. That, mm-hmm. That's a great one. During the stir of the pot, that was really hard for her at the start. because She's okay. very shaky. And now she can actually get that smooth. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Very nice. Have been great for her like that. We don't need anything, you know, that crazy. You know, people stick them on a BOSU ball. I've never been a fan of that. You know, it's a little bit dangerous. She was actually just telling me that story with what's her name, Brooke Shields or something. She actually fell off a balance board and broke her whole femur. Oh, oh, I didn't yeah. know that. On a balance board with those, those roller ones. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The wobble boards. I've never been a fan of those because I'm like, that's too much of a liability risk. Yeah, I always hear a new story every every couple of months on how someone fell off some type of balance modality and it makes them fall and then they break something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but yeah, I like, I mean, it's technical as I, as I get is with a balance beam for her to get more metatarsal flexion. Mm-hmm. That, foot, that, that foot complex one, just driving down the stick to get her posture up, going from big toe to little toe. And that's another great one. So her getting more metatarsal flexion in her feet have also been really great too. You were just talking about what the farmers carries as far as gripping the either whatever you're carrying, uh, but predominantly most people use kettlebells. I think that's a really understated aspect of the farmers carry because especially for guys, because they're all about how much can I carry? But then you start to see massive amounts of daylight between the handles yeah. And the and the fingers, and you're like, okay, put them down. But it's amazing how many guys know I can still get through this. And you're like, no, this isn't a competition. Yeah. This is training, so I want a I want a really tight grip. So yeah. talk, yeah. What you said was great about that grip and understanding how to get into the lats with that. Yeah, I mean, because let's be real, like most people are gotten romanticized with the kettlebell farmer carry because they see it on CrossFit. They saw him lift those giant 200 pound mm-hmm. kettlebells. It's impressive, but <laughs> I wouldn't say the form's great, but like, cause like most people, when they carry stuff, they're very hunched mm-hmm. and they're trying to think as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. I always tell my clients, it's not a bathroom walk. You know, people run to the bathroom, their feet are stuck footed or they're trying to hold it. You know, that's what they look like. I'm like, no, just stand up straight. Stop walking like Frankenstein, mm-hmm. press your toes in the ground. Yeah. But that torque of it's pretty like just building, uh, that's another great thing with, Pavel, he taught, you know, the lift starts before you touch the kettlebell. Mm-hmm. So get your feet centered over the kettlebell, hinge your hips back, chop at the hips is what we say. Find the crease in your hips with your hands, push your hips back, make sure your back feels nice and flat. You can even wiggle your hips around, see if you your toes want to be a little bit more further out or neutral. 
Then you grab the belt. Then you find your lats. Then you just all you do. It's more of a push with your feet. And I just tell them just rotate it out smoothly out to their side. Then walk. So hit once you're at full hip extension. But yeah, people want to just rip it off the ground, and their hips aren't even extended yet. Their feet aren't planted. So yeah, just learning from the ground up first how to just treat the kettlebell. And yeah, this is one of my favorite. That's one. I I recently just posted a my, my that was my last YouTube video. The most underrated kettlebell exercise. And I said, it's the kettlebell carry. No, because I, my rule of thumb is, is if I see daylight between the hands and the handle, then yeah. you're put, then you stop and put it down because it's not about ego. So, but it's, it's hard for some people just to have that mentality of, no, I can still, I can make it. And you're like, that's not the whole point of this drill. Yeah. It's all like human torque and just, yeah. And that, that it carries over to deadlifts. And like, if you want to go to barbell training, it really carries over greatly. I've been a fan of carries ever since reading uh, Dan John's books mm. uh, with like intervention and can you go? Those are great books. If anyone wants to get in, it gets, get into those, but he like is into carries. It's all he keeps stating and how he has, how many athletes that had back pain or they didn't feel like they're because they needed to get it up to like a prep for like a powerlifting competition. And he said, he just had to do carries and all the athletes are saying, I feel thicker. I feel stronger. I haven't even deadlifted at all. Mm-hmm. So like, so I mean, uh, my girlfriend, she does more care. She does more kettlebell work than barbell work. And just yesterday she deadlifted 275 for the first time. Oh, and nice. she, she barely touches a barbell. I would say maybe two or three times a month. She, she loves kettlebell training more than anything. And I, I just, with a couple sessions with her, I said, let's do kettlebell carriers. So you understand the torque because the same thing as we were talking about, you don't want to see daylight. Same thing with the barbell. You don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. That's why people use those rafts like crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, I never get that. I mean, I understand if you're doing it for sport, but for the basic human, we're just trying to get more strength. That's not it's pretty unnecessary. So just getting that torque with the bar first, breaking it in half, that, that yeah, her lat strength, and then she just drives it straight up, no problem. She's going to probably be at 315. <laughs> well, no that's, time. A, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of maybe even like for me, I like to say if you can't grip it naturally, then really should you be lifting it? You know, so it's one thing if you're training for a competition. Okay, those are different parameters. But when we're talking about just everyday people like ourselves, it's a vastly different, you know, a different approach. Yeah, but that's why you see like a lot of people doing back squats. I, I consider a back squat an advanced exercise. Because mm-hmm. people don't know, even know how to place the bar mm, yep. and nuzzle it into their traps. A lot mm-hmm. of people are placing it on their C7. And my, my mentor, Dr. Mike Hartle, who's was strong first. So there's a big process right there that can mm-hmm. stick out and actually get damaged. If you place the bar against your neck like that, mm-hmm. and it needs to be further down and you have to pack your lats. No one thinks about their lats because they no, think it's not a, a back squat. It's a lower body exercise. Once again, mm-hmm. a Dan John quote, the body's not built like Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The body is one piece. People learning to do with a goblet squat first, learning how to brace their abdomen, use their lats that way, and the kettlebell pulls their torso in between their hips, they have a better understanding. So when I see they got that prerequisite of simply doing like a goblet squat, okay, now we can try a back squat. And then you can find those lats. Nuzzle on the bar back there because yeah, it's a, it's a whole different thing now. Opening up the chest, so I t- I actually suggest people do more front squats than back squats for just mm-hmm. normal people who just want to get strength. But yeah, if you're going for powerlifting, yeah, I would say try to do more back squats. Yeah, I'm with you there for sure. Yeah, front squats are the way to go. 
But that's my that's probably my favorite one. I've been even I even tried recently the uh the, I don't know if you ever tried the Kabuki Strength Transformer bar. I know you got I think I've seen you with the the other trap bar you yeah, they have. It's a safety bar, kind of like the Kabuki yeah. one. Yeah, the Kabuki one's yeah. awesome, right? Because you can you can yeah. place the load so it's either a front squat, yeah, goblet squat, or a back squat. Yeah. I use that with a lot of my clients now that that just can't they want to do more back squats, but they have shoulder issues. So it has these longer handles because typical safety bars are right, right here, but their handles are right down here. So now you have more lat engagement and then you can change the vector degree position with the chamber and I can shift it upright to make it feel like a front squat hmm. and make it go right over their mid foot better. So I can kind of dial it in when you know how to use it. It's a pretty cool tool. Yeah, yeah. that thing's pretty cool. I, I love just doing squats from a just, me personally, I just love squatting monster kettlebells. Probably that's for people see me online do that. I, I tried belt squats, for example. Like I never, I don't really care for those. But like you give me a hundred fifty pound kettlebell to squat, I, that feels way better to me. So it's all for the right person. Well, I think people are surprised too when you you know you give them a heavy goblet squat or or two you know two kettlebells in the rack position, and they start yeah. squatting. How much core demand it takes? Yeah. I know because once again, people think it's a lower body exercise and they get that little, they don't get enough depth. And that's why, you know, I think with the best correctives ever is that dumpy squat you guys taught me and that, that driving that stick up into just, you know, a pull up bar, this everything realigns itself. You just see how they get in that vertical plank and you just see how everything the stick pushes up and their, their body naturally goes down. That's probably one of the best correctives I've, I've seen. <laughs> yeah. I, Cause I mean, when I did it, I was like, my squat was no issues. So when I felt it myself, I was like, if I'm feeling this and I don't have any issues with my squatting, then people that do should be like just completely lit up. And uh, it is it's fascinating to see the reactions from people when they get into that drill and they really start to feel that full body engagement. You know, their eyes just go boom and uh, they're really feeling that. Yeah, I mean, because when it comes to squatting, people—it's—it's it's weird. People will tell you they can't squat down that far, but then they're sitting in that position that far. So they—they they, they have the capacity, but they don't know how to come up from point A to point B. And it's a surprising fact that I, I always try to keep my clients standing as much as possible. I don't want them sitting, and because the average American, I think, sits between what eight to seven, like seven to eight hours now. Yeah, it's quite substantial. Probably even more after seeing after everything else has gone on. Everyone oh, yeah. else quarantine. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, the squat is uh, just so necessary. But like, I try not to force it with load with everyone. And it's like someone just feels good with the dumpy squat, for example. I'm probably just going to keep them with that for a while. Yeah, so feel like with a, with a kettlebell. Well, no, it's a great way to it's a really condition the tendons and the and the connective tissues. Yeah. Right, without having to risk injuring them, so it's I think it's a really safe uh, drill for them to get into. Yeah, and that's like another one. Uh, I think like a great one is just you know being on your back and like you have the two sticks against the wall and just to bring their knees tucked in, like a crunch. Like if they can't hang and they crunch, but what I like about that drill is we're just flipping the squat on the floor, mm -hmm. and you're teaching them to keep their ribs hidden down, not compensating. And they actually can feel their core brace as their knees bent over their hips. And they could just kick their legs back out toward the wall on the floor. And then the back is in a good, safe 
position. And then even something as simple as uh, from Dr. Stuart McGill, just doing dead bugs and bird dogs can also help out the squat. That's another common common thing I'm seeing on social media. People think you have to, in order to fix the the squat, you have to squat. It's not Mm -hmm. true. You really have to just get into the same type of position that looks like it, you know, like that, that quadruped position, I think is that's why you see so many people doing, you know, dead bugs. And like, I have one client, he has back pain when he squats. So before, if he wants to have a squat day, we actually do the stick mobility one where you just drive the stick into your thigh mm-hmm. with your right hand and left thigh. And then you just extend one leg out, one arm out. And they really just feel that extension going all the way to their, their abdomen. And they feel disconnect everything back in place. Once again, not going linear, it's, it's the, the core works diagonally. Because a lot of people have been told you can't deep squat or it's not good for you. But I think when we know, well, and I don't know if a lot of trainers even realize that a really easy way to show your clients or even themselves that they can go below parallel is just simply going supine and then pulling those knees up to your chest. And when you see you get past 90 degrees of hip flexion, it tells you that, yes, you physically can get to that position. You just buy, you just don't understand the right mechanisms to engage to actually get you into that position once we give you, once we get you into a vertical position. Yep. Yep. And it, and there's not a lot of people that can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's because I can do it doesn't mean my clients should do it. Yes. That, that's yeah. a huge thing. We're saying it's, just, we're saying, I'm seeing more coaches throwing their workouts. Their capacities on other people that clearly don't have it, the cookie cutter type style. There needs to be a little bit more focus on what is better for everyone else. Cause, cause I can go, you know, rock bottom with my squats doesn't mean everyone else should. You know, I don't know their past history yet. And it's like, you know, you got, to, I've had a lot of people, and the most advanced one I think I ever had was when uh, this girl, she was super athletic and then she got like the worst recommended surgery possible from, her doctor and she had surgery where she got all of her nerves in her low back cauterized Whoa. Age 23, no, no rehab, no, no, nothing. The doctor just said, no, we just need to cauterize the nerves because you have too much back pain. And then she came to me and I, and I remember we couldn't even get her hip hinge. And mm. one day it took us a month just to get her, just to even push her hips back. And she finally had no pain. Wow. Yeah. And so it really comes down to like, what's the past history Everyone has their own, you know, way of squatting, you know, everyone's squats different. And that's another thing too. Like, I think with the femur head, everyone has a different, I forget what the top of it's called the ball socket, uh, the top uh, of the femur one, one's a little bit longer. Some can be more circular than others. So people might have a neutral, feel more better neutral with their feet. Some feel better with their toes pointed out. So they have more room for their hips to move around in there. Well, we talked about how many times, even when people squat, just naturally during their daytime, just regular movement patterns. Uh, you know, a lot of times your heels aren't always flat on the ground. Uh, I mean, that could be just because you just don't have that natural movement anyway. So you're forced to squat that way. So there's different ways of looking at it, but a lot of times, typically one foot will be flat and another heel will be elevated when we go into a regular squat. So that we don't, we practice that all the time with our clients is having, you know, we'll offset squat. Uh, that's okay. a great, that's a great way of, of conditioning really one leg at a time. Anyways, that's yeah. I've been that single leg deadlift and doing uh, that. That was probably one of the first things I really loved about the stick mobility system 
was the Captain Morgan and teaching the internal and external tap rotations mm-hmm. of your leg and just building that single leg strength. Like you think the like the magic is happening at that hip capsule, mm-hmm. but yeah. that grounded leg has to stay flat and they have to drive off it and they use those sticks to get just that more taller. They're using their lats as they're pressing into the floor. And that, that, that helps them understand how their, their squat and their feet work all at once without doing the squat once again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yesterday I had a client that just told me like we were squatting and she told me her right, hip, her right glute was just feeling really too tight. And I even saw her hips starting to shift. So we said, let's stop that. And then I said, try to do that internal external tap with the sticks. And she found it was loosening the more she kept focusing on internally rotating her hip. And it started loosening more up. And then we started doing more 90-90 positions, you know, with the sticks, just kind of loosening up with the low back as well at the end of the session. And I told her, try to sit in the 90-90 position the rest of the week a little bit more, and that might help resolve that. And then we can get back to squatting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the body adapts to the stimulus you give it and adapts to the stimulus that you take away from it. So we just, unfortunately, people that don't move, don't put their joints and connective tissues through those ranges of motions that requires adaptation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like we're seeing on social media, like people just get so influenced for what they see and you don't see the, how, how much work it, it, it takes. And it's like half the reason I can't go to gyms now. I have to cover, I have to cover my eyes. <laughs> um, well, I, I like a good box gym visit every once in a while. I, yeah. I, you know, I think it's, it's always entertaining. So every once in a while, you see something that you haven't seen before. So it's, I think it's always entertainable, entertaining time. Yeah. Well, it also shows you because, you know, as we go deeper and deeper into our field, you don't really know what's going on in the general public and their perception of fitness. So it gives you, a, you know, a good sense of, hey, this is still what people think. And, you know, how can as fitness professionals, how can we start to, you know, break that mold? Yeah. Like a great example is like one of my clients, he goes to a powerlifting gym. When he's not with me, and he brings his Indian clubs with him. Oh, yes. And people are look. He says he gets weird looks when he mm-hmm. does his mills because he has shoulder issues. So I make him do mills. I said before you press, do mills so you get that all loosened up, that circular type motion. Once you got those tendons, ligaments, mm-hmm. great for that. Yeah, he just gets all those weird looks. People are like, Wait, "Why is he doing that?" You know, from a powerlifter type mode you know all they're thinking is just okay just do this and raise your arms up and just you know those horrible shoulder dislocations that is the most crazy one i'm seeing now more than ever just that Mm -hmm. you know compensating that lack of like they're they can't get the space in their shoulders and they so they jam their neck forward instead yeah i mean just unconventional tools like yeah with like clubs and maces that's like a perfect example of why people don't understand those are so movement oriented but then like they can't connect the dots with the barbell with that because people think barbell they just think wait 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 more load we recently crazy story that just happened out here on uh, my my part of town out here in the antelope valley a 22 year old kid died because he, he deadlifted 700 pounds he dropped the, he he deadlifted it and then he because he was breathing so badly yeah, yeah. he helped and then passed out and then the load dropped on his foot and he think he, he he thought he he broke his ankle no one knows the story it's pretty controversial right now but um supposedly he thought one of his friends gave him oxycotton for a painkiller and he really took fentanyl and he oh. didn't wake up the next day dang age wow. 22 
So it shows you like how badly educated the youth is getting now that they have to lift more and they have to take painkillers at age 22. Two. Jesus. Damn. You know, just to get more weight up. It, it blows my mind because I, I remember seeing that gym and I'm like, someone's going to hurt themselves really bad one day because I saw all these high school kids deadlifting more weight than they should be. Yeah. And that's now the result. They have that now the, the owner is under a lot of scrutiny right now because the, that's a whole other story I don't want to get into, but it's just very sad to hear that a 22 year old passed away because he thought, I need to lift more weight and I'm just going to take a painkiller to get rid of this. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because at the age of 22, you, you still are, you still got years of development still left. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's just a lack of, well, people don't know what they don't know, but I yeah. think what's sad is people don't want to ask if yeah. they don't know. Right. They just exactly. want to, that's the, you know, ignorance isn't an excuse, yeah. but I mean, I acknowledged ignorance, I think is even worse when you're like, ah, I don't need to know that stuff or I don't want it. Like with the guy with the, with the Indian clubs, I'm pretty sure very few people have ever come up to him and asked him, why are you using those? They, they don't ask him. He, he says he just gets all those weird looks. But then they wonder why his legs are so big. You know, right. you know, I got his legs pretty strong. I got his upper body pretty strong. He actually couldn't even do a bicep curl. He loves doing bicep curls, being a guy, you know, and he couldn't even do anything. But now that we're, we've fixed his shoulders, he can do all the bicep curls he wants with no pain now. And it's because of movements like that with the Indian club, just getting that shoulder loosened up. It's only a two, three pound club. It's, and that's what great cook states with them. I, I use great cooks uh, quote with this Indian clubs aren't heavy. They're fast. Yep. So you see guys like Tom Brady, he's not going to make millions with arms like mine. You know, if he's got all that mass <laughs> on him, you know, hence why I'm doing, <laughs> I'm not making as much money as him, but yeah. Uh, you know, he needs that snap. He needs that quickness. He can't do that with a bunch of muscle mass. That's not his goal. Same thing with a pitcher. They got to be fast. People don't understand that. Pitchers and quarterbacks, they make their money up being fast, not lifting a bunch of weight. So I'm assuming a lot of their strength and conditioning is very focused on keeping their ligaments and tendons healthy. And there's not enough focus on that as we've, we've been seeing, you know, with a lot of tools. And that's why I think things like stick mobility and Indian clubs, those are like a perfect one-two punch for me to help show people where you're compensating before we even go into something like cowbells or barbells. Mm -hmm. So, well, fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on Ian. We appreciate you uh, coming on and talking about your experiences and uh, your training and, and how you've incorporated the sticks. Uh, so we do appreciate that your eBooks and your social media. If you want to give the listeners where they can get a hold of you, where they can get your content. Yeah, uh, you get a lot of my content over at coachvon.net. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at uh, Coach Viking Vaughn. Um, I sell a lot of different uh, ebooks just on, you know, with clubs, maces, and kettlebells. And then if you want to just go with just one tool, you can go on Amazon with my books with a paperback or Kindle edition with Enter the Steel Mace or uh, with uh, kettlebells, with the kettlebell weights. And I am planning to release a online certification very soon in the summer uh, with how to combine all these tools for coaches for all kettlebells, clubs, and maces all into one so that you know which one to apply to a certain client base. All right. Fantastic. Well, thanks, brother. And to all the other listeners out there, until next episode, be good to each other. <laughs> <laughs>